0: Hello, my lovely people, and welcome to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. Well, this week, we will be talking about The Corpse Flew First Class, Season 3, Episode 12, first aired January 18th, 1987. And the IMDb summary reads, while on a flight to London, a wealthy woman's chauffeur dies suddenly. And when the priceless necklace he was carrying turns out missing, it becomes a case of murder. Okay, that was fun. Anyway, this is one of my favorite, 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 favorite episodes. So let's get into the returners and then right into the cast and diving into this. I got notes upon notes, but let's get to it. So our first returner is Pat Harrington Jr. And we will recognize him as Assistant District Attorney Mel Comstock in Footnote to Murder. In this episode, he will be playing Gunner Global. We also have Andrew Parks. And we will recognize him as Russell Tompkins from My Johnny Lies Over the Ocean. Now, he was the love interest... Well, he was the one that Jessica was trying to hook Pamela up with, right? He was the one that Pamela was like, oh, he must be a teacher. Him. He plays a flight attendant named Fred Jenkins in this episode. Now, the only reason we know he has a name is because of IMDB. At no point do they refer to him by any name. So... (laughs) Anyway, however, this is his last appearance in a Murder, She Wrote episode. So now let's get into all of the characters. We have Kay Davis, who is also a flight attendant. We have Gunnar Global, Errol Pogson, Sonny Greer, Lewis and Mrs. Metcalf. Now he has a name, a first name, but she don't. Okay, that is a whole mess anyway. (laughs) Fred Jenkins, Dr. Clint Strayhorn, Captain Weasel, John Sukahara, Otto Hardwick, Leon Bagard, Carney, and Elizabeth Welch. Also, there's a Blaton, okay? That is the only name. I don't know if it's a first name or last name or whatever. We meet him once and that's it, and he's not referred to by name. So, again, IMDb to the rescue. So we open up inside the safety deposit vault at a bank and we have Sunny, her bodyguard Leon, and the bank manager. And I'm guessing this is the bank manager because she has a multi-million dollar necklace in her safety deposit box. And she is a well-known actress. So yeah, she's kind of a big deal. So I'm sure the bank manager himself is the one who's helping her out, like not for nothing. And he makes a comment as to the beauty of the necklace. And Sonny says, why should the Brits have a monopoly on the crown jewels? Side note, Kate Mulgrew, the actress playing Sonny Greer, has an amazing sultry voice. I love it. And she was perfectly cast for this role. And honestly, I feel like everybody played their role perfectly. Honestly and truly, perfectly. Especially her. And, you know, we don't need to mention how amazing Angela Lansbury is as Jessica Fletcher. That goes without saying. But for all these auxiliary people, they played their role. Positions. So thank you. That is why this is one of my faves. Anyway, so the bank manager scurries off to check on the insurance paperwork because of course, once you are taking this priceless necklace out of the safety and security of your safety deposit box, which is in a locked vault, which is in a bank, you really have to increase the insurance because you're just out and about, you know? With it, And you're planning to wear it at a gala. So it's going to be open access. Like someone could just snatch it off your neck at any time. So he's going to check on the insurance paperwork. And as soon as he leaves, Sunny turns to Leon and they start making out. And I'm like, okay, girl, control yourself. Because there is probably a camera in there. So just because he, you know what, it's 1987. So probably not a security camera in the safety deposit vault because people probably have some illegal stuff in there, but they're paying good money. So there probably isn't. So you know what, I take that back. So they zoom in on this kiss and then fade back into, (laughs) and it changes into the next scene. So I'm like, okay. So we see them, Sunny and Leon leaving the bank, And the camera pans out and we see a man in a phone booth because 1987 and he is calling someone reporting Sonny and Leon's movements. Now we don't know this man's name. We don't know who he's speaking with, but apparently he's been tailing Sonny for a few days and finally hit pay dirt and said that they are heading to Logan Airport, which is in Boston, Massachusetts. So the next scene, we are at the airport in the Traveler's Club Lounge. So it's basically the first class lounge. And we first have, entering the lounge, Sonny, Leon, and Blankton. Blankton, Blanton. I don't know. No one says his name. I'm just guessing, <laughs> sounding this out, but... He is asking, he clearly works for the airport, and he's asking if Sunny needs anything, you know, because she's a celebrity, like, honestly and truly, she's a celebrity, so this is to be expected, but I think the interesting thing is she is a celebrity, and she is carrying around a multi-million dollar diamond necklace, right? Not to mention that beautiful white fur coat, like, let's just pause for a second and appreciate it. Sorry if um, you are not into fur. Just pretend it was fake. Just pretend it was a faux fur because it is gorgeous. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, but that she doesn't have more security. She has Leon and not for nothing. He's in the airport. I know this is 1987, but I highly doubt that he has a weapon on him of the gun variety. And he does not look like he could put up much of a fight for someone who is really trying to get this multi-million dollar necklace or hurt Sonny. So I don't understand why she doesn't have more security with her. And she has super large money. Like she has money, money, money. Okay. Not just from her career, but she has old money. Okay. Okay. So she can afford first class tickets for a full security team or even just Leon in the front with her, but several bodyguards in business class or coach. So I I am already suspicious as to why she only has one bodyguard with her and she's super famous and is carrying a multi-million dollar necklace. But you know what? That is just the suspicious lawyer in me. So, okay. (laughs) Now, I don't do insurance defense, but I promise you that anybody who does is like, this seems like a setup. So (laughs) anyway, so Sunny is like, listen, as long as the food is hot and the drinks are cold, we'll get along famously. And you know what? That's the truth. I don't need any drama. I have made it to the gate or at least close to the gate. The plane is not going to leave without me. So just make sure that I'm comfortable because that's the most important. Once you get to the airport, it's the getting to the airport and making sure you're going to make it on your flight. Once you are at the gate, you should not be stressed unless you're afraid to fly. That's something different. Thankfully, I'm not. So once I get to... The gate, my stress level goes down to probably about a one or a two. Just because there's always a chance that the gate will change. And that could be stressful. So (laughs) anyway, let me get back to this story. I'm just all on a tangent here. So we find out that there's 20 minutes to boarding, right? So only in 1987 with someone... As famous as Sonny Greer. Side note, why is she not on a private jet? Yeah, let's pause and think about why she's not on a private jet. But then this plot couldn't have happened. So, okay. Mm, okay. But like I was saying, only in 1987 with a celebrity could they get to the first class lounge, right? 20 minutes before boarding, an international flight. Okay. Now in 2021, you know, in these COVID streets, in this post 9-11 streets, right? You have to be there for an international flight three to four hours beforehand. So remembering that it's 1987 this is a possibility and probably not out of the ordinary, because think about it. If you were a celebrity and you had to fly on commercial and you are carrying via your bodyguard a multi-million-dollar piece of jewelry, would you want to spend too much time with the regular first class people? No, that's the answer. No. So it makes sense that she would be cutting it this close. So anyway, so she walks into the lounge with Leon and she bumps into Clint. Now, he is a doctor. He is a plastic surgeon and they know each other. And Sonny is like, what are you doing here? Because everyone knows that she is going to London for a gala. And Clint mentions the fact that he's heard that she's wearing the princess Empress, not princess, Empress Catherine Necklace. And she's like, I want to know how the press gets this information. Girl, you gave it to them. (laughs) We know how that works. Okay. (laughs) You all surprised. You know who told them. It might not have been you making the call, but definitely your people told them for absolutely sure. Your manager has the tabloids on speed dial. Okay. Okay. We know how this works. Thank you, Kardashians, for letting us know that this is how this works. Anyway, so Clint says, well, I'm making a transatlantic house call to do a little nip and tuck on, and he gave her name. I didn't write it down because it didn't matter. And so then he goes on to say, you know, doctors like me would be out of work or starve. He said starve. If everyone was as much of an ageless beauty as you are. And she's like, "Uh, (laughs) thank you. Um, But in 20 years, when it all starts falling apart, you know, I'll come and see about you. And he's like, I'm in the book. (laughs) But okay. Okay. I will say that Sunny did look flawless. Her skin looked rich. Okay. She (laughs) looked like... She takes great care of her skin. She did. So he was not lying. It may have sounded like that, but he was actually telling the truth. The flattery was correct. So as they're talking, this guy kind of bum rushes in with a camera, bumps into Jessica. She drops whatever's on her plate, but doesn't drop the plate, bumps into somebody else this guy is taking photos and is like, oh my God, Leon. And she holds up her purse to block her face. And Leon then snatches the camera out of this man's hands. He then rips the film out, destroying it. Right. And then throws the camera back at the guy and grabs his collar and just really like heave hoes him outside and is like, I'll take out the trash. Now, he might not have said that, but that's what he meant. Uh, (laughs) He didn't say that, but that's what I heard. Um, And he proceeds to drag that man out. And so then Sunny walks up to Jessica and apologizes by saying that she's sorry that, you know, um, that you got bumped into by that guy and whatever. But... With Madonna out of the country, someone has to be shot. And then Jessica's like, No, it's perfectly fine. I, I'm fine. Thank you. And so Sunny walks off. And the person that Jessica bumped into, she apologizes to him, or he apologizes to her, whichever it was. And they introduce themselves, and he is Errol Pogson. Pogson? something to that effect we call him Errol right and she's like oh I left a I lost a few shrimp puffs but you know no harm no foul so Errol is like who was that film star that they were trying to capture and Jessica says oh that's Sonny Greer once she says the name he immediately recognizes her and says oh we British aren't the only ones with infamous actresses or however he puts it which is strange because most people would recognize the face of the person but not their name you know because there are some actors and actresses that are in everything everything and then you see their name and you're like who the heck is that you then see their photo and you're like oh my gosh yes I know who that is oh I had no idea that was their real name. <laughs> They're in things and stuff. That <laughs> Anyway, but it was odd because he seemed to recognize her by name rather than by actually looking at her. But I don't know. Maybe it's because her hair was pulled back and so she looked different. I don't know. Anyway. So we find out that Errol is heading back to England after a holiday in the States. And Jessica says, well, she's technically heading on holiday, but honestly, she's going to research a murder from Northumberland from the turn of the century. So (laughs) Errol's like, oh, how macabre. You must be a writer. Why would you put two and two together and figure out she was a writer? I would have been like, are you in law enforcement? Like, what do you? Like, I don't know. Maybe when he said writer, he meant like reporter who, and a reporter would be interested in doing a story about that. So I'm going to guess that's what he meant. He meant reporter as opposed to a novelist, you know? Well, you know, what, in 2021, I would have been like, oh, so you're into true crimes. That is amazing. Like, what's your job that you're able to do this? Are you a podcaster? <laughs> Are you on YouTube? But that's 2021. So yeah, I guess back then when he said writer, I'm going to assume he meant like reporter or freelance writer who could write on an old story like that and actually make money off of it. So she says, yes, I'm a writer, and waits a beat, and he then realizes, oh my goodness, Jessica Fletcher, J.B. Fletcher, oh my goodness, I remember about three years ago, you were a a few floors down, rummaging through our files, and she's like, ah, yes, so you are with Scotland Yard, and a 25-year man to boot. And he's like, How did you know? She was like, Your lapel pin. So he had his 25 year lapel pin on his suit jacket. So he's like, Yes, like who was the Scotland Yard person, the inspector that you were working with? And she says, Inspector Crimmins. And he's like, Oh, Roger, yes, yes. Now we know when. Jessica was in England, specifically London or a city nearby, when she went to visit her cousin Emma in Sing a Song of Murder. That is when she met Inspector Crimmins. Now, this is probably not the time that Errol is speaking about because I She was helping Inspector Crimmins, but I don't think she would have been going through their files. I think that's when they met and that some off-screen situation required her to go back to England and to do some research on another case. Now that she knew and was friends with Inspector Crimmins, she had the ability to go and have him help her out. So I'm guessing that is the time that he's talking about, not necessarily sing a song of murder time, because I don't think she went through files during that situation. So Errol then asks if she would like to join him in a sherry. She says, oh, yes, that would be lovely. So then as he is walking to the bar to order the sherry, we hear on the PA system that there's a call for Gunner Global. And there's also a call for Otto Hardwick. We see Gunnar on the phone. And we find out he is a producer. He is on his way to a premiere of his new movie in London. So he can't go out with... Who was it? Burt Reynolds, I think he was speaking about. And Clint Eastwood, like he just used first names because he's like super famous and he knows all these people. And so his secretary apparently says, oh, well, Joan called. And he's like, Joan, Collins or Rivers? And she's like, your wife, Joan. He's like, oh, my wife, Joan. I love her. Tell her I love her. Okay. And then hangs up the phone. Okay. (laughs) He doesn't say goodbye. He doesn't say I'll talk to you later nothing. He just hangs up the phone. Okay. Like who does that? Well, they do that on TV a lot, but in real life, you should say goodbye. Okay. (laughs) You're about to go overseas and be there for some period of time. You could have at least been like, okay, all the best. Yeah. I'll have a safe flight something, you know, have a good evening. But anyway, we then see Jessica looking around waiting for her Sherry And we see the Metcalfs. We find out their names later, but the Metcalfs. And they're looking very suspicious. And when they notice that Jessica is looking in their direction, they then proceed to turn around towards the corner to continue whatever conversation they're having. And she's like, okay, ain't nobody concerned about you. (laughs) I'm just looking around. Like I'm not trying to engage y'all going about y'all's business. So at the bar, now Gunner has just hung up the phone on his secretary, just no goodbye, hung up because he saw an opportunity to speak with Sonny Greer. Now her bodyguard is not near her. Dr. Clint is standing behind her at the bar because they were having a conversation. But I'm like, where? I guess she figures if, people are in the first class lounge then they're people of status and they wouldn't be trying to hurt her so I guess she doesn't need her bodyguard right up under her but Gunnar walks up and he's like oh hey Sonny like how are you doing and she's like do I know you and he's like yeah you remember me we were at some ski lodge and I picked you up and she's like excuse me (laughs) And Clint is in the back like, oh, what's going on over here? About to get some hot tea. And so Gunnar's like, when you fell, she's like, oh, you were the guy in the green plaid parka with the white sunscreen all over your nose. And he's like, yes, yes, that was me. So, um, listen, I got this new project and I have a few pieces left and it's a minimum of $100,000 per piece. And so at this point, Errol is walking away towards Jessica and we hear in the background Sunny saying, well, how many pieces do you have left? Now we don't hear the answer to that. But... <laughs> He's like, I need to finish selling this show, this movie situation so we can get into production, all right? Now we got a premiere that I'm going to when I get on the other side, but I got to make sure there is another project right behind it so I can stay in first class, okay? (laughs) So Errol makes it back to Jessica. They have like two sips of Sherry before the boarding starts for their flight. Now, as they're getting up, Errol says, "Let me be your bodyguard in- ca- just in case there is a well read paparazzi who decides to start chasing you Now, that was funny like I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> that was appropriate, and it was funny. so kudos to him. well, kudos to the writer who came up with that line. So the next scene, we are on the airplane now. From here to almost the very end, we are confined to the first class section of the airplane and the first class lounge on the airplane. So upstairs is the first class lounge. Downstairs is the first class seating. So that is where the majority of this episode takes place. So Jessica is... Seatmates with Gunner Global. So, yay. <laughs> Errol is in the first row of first class. I'm like, hey, okay, where he get this type of money from? Like, okay, is Scotland Yard paying like that. Okay. Hey, in 1987 that you can get a first class ticket. I see. I see how you go. But he is sitting next to some rando, okay? We don't know who this lady is. She is literally a background actor. But he is sitting directly in front of Jessica. And he says, oh, after dinner, let's go upstairs to the lounge and have coffee. She's like, oh, that's a great idea. So Jessica sits down next to Gunnar Global, right? Gunnar. And he is, like, aggressively flipping pages, (laughs) okay? aggressively flipping pages and he introduces himself and he's like I single-handedly produced off-road aliens and Jessica's like oh hey I must have missed that one uh I'm Jessica Fletcher (laughs) he's like nice to meet you and so then Fred the flight attendant comes up and says oh Mrs. Fletcher I've um I'm a big fan of yours. If there's anything you need, just let me know and we'll make sure you get it. You know, it's an honor to have you flying with us. So he then takes her coat. She's like, oh, thank you. Thank you. You know, I appreciate it. And he walks away. And so Gunnar turns to her and is like, be honest with me. Are you somebody? What? Everybody is somebody. But she doesn't say that. I'm saying that. She says... I'm a writer. He's like, oh, you're a writer. Oh, my goodness. God works things out even for me. (laughs) Okay. And she's like, what? He's like, here. And he hands her the script. And he's like, you don't ask me what's wrong with it. Everything is wrong with it. And there's back and forth. She's like, I am not that type of writer. I don't think I'm a good enough writer to redo this screenplay. And so he says, well, you must be a good writer. You're in first class, aren't you? And she's like, touche. Okay, (laughs) Because the fact is, like, she doesn't come from, like, family money and... It's probably because she's super famous author that she has the money to fly first class or at the very least is with a publishing house that can afford to send her to do research in England, specifically London, and send her there first class. So, yeah, so she is like, you're right. Okay, um... But still, like, I, I don't know about this. And <laughs> Gunner, being the persistent person that he is, is like, listen, we have several hours, okay? I am known to be able to convince people. And we have all the way until we get to Fog Town, I'm assuming he means London, for me to convince you. She's like, you know what? Mm, no, mm, that's fine. That's actually factually fine. I will take a look at it, but no promises. And you know what? That's the best response you could give because he was going to be super annoying if you didn't. So then we see Fred going around and helping everyone like with their coats and to store their luggage. And he goes up to the Metcalfs and he's like, oh, you know, can I take your basket? I can put it overhead. And she's like, no, 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 no. It's my knitting. It's my knitting. And <laughs> The husband just does the most about it and Fred's like I I don't even care no is fine like no is a complete sentence and it answered my question so both of y'all are giving a lot more information than I need but you know what I have an entire first class to deal with I'm not even gonna question this and he just moves on (laughs) so we then have Leon sweating bullets As he is trying to get his Walkman to work and it's not, despite him putting fresh batteries in it, he apparently is afraid of flying. Sunny is not even phased by this. She's like, calm down. Like, it's not even that serious. Where it is for him, like, he is legitimately having a near panic attack. And she's like, yeah, so it'll be fine. It is safer than driving. And he's like, well, then let's just drive to London. She's like, no, that's not happening. Okay, because uh, water. That's why. The Atlantic Ocean is a thing. So, (laughs) but it's not funny that he is really going through it right now. Like he is really having a difficult time because he's afraid of flying. And not for nothing, Sonny is quite nonchalant about this. But anyway, so they finally get airborne and Sunny asks for a glass of water for Leon. And he is still like super stressed, but he, he did not run off the plane. So we have at least that. And... His Walkman is still not working. So he is really amping up his panic situation. He then steps away to go to the bathroom, like hoping that maybe I'm guessing cold water on the face or something like that. Even though I'm like, the bathroom is the worst place to be because I feel like you get all of the turbulence there. (laughs) It's just like built for that to be the worst spot on the plane, either waiting for the bathroom, like right outside of it or being in it. So so he goes, in trying to go to the bathroom, he encounters Otto Hardwick and they do a little you go, I go dance, you know, situation (laughs) in the narrow aisle, but make it past each other. So then we fast forward and it's time for drink service. And now Kay Davis is the name of the female flight attendant that we see. She actually has a name. I don't know who the other flight attendant's name is. Maybe that's the Elizabeth person. I'm guessing nobody calls her by name. So IMDB to the rescue again. And Errol asks for a sherry right and so (laughs) kate goes to the cart turns around gives him a tomato juice and then proceeds to take the cart all the way back like she did not serve drinks to anybody else and i'm like what for one you gave him the wrong drink it wasn't even another alcoholic beverage you know what i mean like it wasn't like oh she gave him wine instead of sherry, she gave him tomato juice and i'm like that is in a completely different container and then you didn't even serve drinks to anybody else. So that was just above and beyond. Like especially in first class, she would have been fired on the spot. Like <laughs> they would have switched her out with somebody from business class or from coach in real life because that is just too much. I paid too good of money. Okay, too many dollars, cents, euros, pence, pounds, rands, whatever to get this front row seat. Okay, the least you can do is get my drink order right or at least give me a drink. You know what I mean? They didn't even hand out water and orange juice. So anyway, she is just a whole mess from the very beginning. Now, when they were first getting on the flight and Fred was taking them to their seats, he says, oh, non-smoking down this way. At this point in the episode, we see that the two seats in the back of first class are smoking. Can you please explain to me, as someone who has been on airplanes a number of of airplanes and make it make sense how you have people sitting inches, centimeters, feet, kilometers away from each other and have people smoking in an airplane cabin. How was that even okay? Why would you have a non-smoking section when people are smoking in the air. I'll wait. I I will wait for an explanation about how people are smoking cigarettes in the back of the cabin, right? Can't open a window because you're on a plane and nobody wants to die. And there does not appear to be any special extra super duper vents because the smoke was just going into the regular, everybody's breathing this recycled air, air. So why would I pay for a non-smoking seat when there are people who can just straight up light up cigarettes and smoke right behind me? Because there had to be a point, there wasn't any division. There wasn't even a curtain or even any way to pretend that that part of first class and you know business was the same and you know that coach was the same there was nothing to even pretend that there was a division between the smoking section and the non-smoking section if there's a smoking section on a plane the entire plane is a smoking section (laughs) what in the world like how is that okay okay How was that okay to be like, oh, this is a non-smoking section when smoke goes into the air and dissipates in the air and spreads in the air and you're contained in an airplane with recycled air that does not have sufficient ventilation to eradicate the cigarette smoke? Yeah, I don't think I'll ever get an, a proper answer to that. It just is what it is, but it doesn't make sense. So basically the entire plane was a smoking section because that's how smoking works. Okay, so, <laughs> so Leon then comes back from the restroom. He is looking worse for wear and Jessica's like, oh, white knuckler. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm really not a fan of flying now if you look in the background not even that far in the background Gunner is knocked out like his mouth is open okay (laughs) I'm like I wonder if he was really asleep like if it just had been a long day or if he had come from another time zone filming something else because homeboy was there head back mouth open knocked out I was like I never noticed that until this time watching it and I'm like oh they have to do that man like that they really didn't have to do him like that <laughs> anyway so Leon goes and sits down sunny is like you didn't lose it did you he's like no it's right here and taps his breast pocket But not for nothing, that's an odd thing to say. Like He literally walked about uh, 10 to 15 steps away from the seat, used the restroom, and came back. So what would make you think that he would have lost it? And if he did lose it, he would have alerted you or he would have been looking for it. So that's a very odd comment to make. But, you know plot I guess so <laughs> so we again see how out of touch Kay Davis is how inattentive more specifically she tries to give Jessica red wine and Jessica's like uh not today okay you're not about to ruin my Dover soul first class meal up in here with some red wine with my fish uh white wine thank you <laughs> At least she was polite about it. And Kay was like, oh, yes, yes. White wine with fish. Jessica's like, yeah, because that's why I asked for white wine. (laughs) What? Anyway, so they're then watching a movie. And remember back in the day when you couldn't choose what you watched on a plane or on a bus? Right, everybody watched the same movie, whether you wanted to or not. At least on an airplane, you could put headphones on, and if you didn't want to watch the movie, you could just not use headphones and go on about your business. But on a bus, you had no choice because it the volume was up so that everybody could watch and hear it, which was super annoying. Because what if you wanted to sleep? Now you got to sleep through this nonsense. Anyway, let me not take a flashback to (laughs) to that (laughs) and upset myself all over again. But the funny thing about this is I read in some article that Angela Lansbury did not like car chases and violence to that degree, right? Like fighting and, and things like that. So that was one of the reasons that she never drove in as Jessica Fletcher so there would be no chance of a car chase even though mm, hit run and homicide like I'm sure that had to take a lot of convincing for her to do that but she did not like those the other thing is that's why I believe that's the only time you really see a car chase on murder she wrote If there's another one that comes up, then we'll discuss it at that time. But for the record, Angela Lansbury personally did not like these things. So that would explain the absolute look of disgust on her face as she's watching the car chase scene in this movie, which apparently has several. And she takes off her headphones and like shakes her head. Just absolute disgust. Okay. (laughs) So that that is why she had that look on her face or several looks on her face during that scene because she, as a person, not as a character, but as a real person, detested those things. So just a little background situation. So at this point, Jessica goes to the restroom and we all hear an electric razor and it stops and literally two seconds later, we see Otto Hardwick leave the bathroom. And I'm like, where did he put this razor? Like how? It it was too quick. It was too quick. Like he turned it off and then the door opened. And he didn't have it in his hand. He was like, feeling his face how smooth it was now that he had shaved. But maybe it was in his other hand then that means you open the restroom door with the hand that you then touch your face with. Ew. Like, ew. There are people who just don't wash their hands (laughs) when they use the bathroom, especially on an airplane. God. Um, And not even thinking about that as we're in 2021 in these COVID streets, but just in general, like gross. So, Jessica then goes into the restroom after Otto has stepped out. We then see in the background in a bit that Sunny goes upstairs to the first class lounge where she finds Clint sitting there having a drink. And long story short, Clint offers to buy the Empress Catherine necklace with him and some of his doctor friends. They want to, they're looking for an investment and they believe that this may be a good option. She says no. Yes, it's a gaudy little bubble. But you know, it's been in the family since Bunker Hill. So yeah, it has been in her family since the 17th century, 18th century. I don't know. Anyway, a long time. So she's not looking to sell it. He accepts that. He's like, okay, I understand. I can say that I asked. That's all I can do. So the next scene, the movie is now over and there is some turbulence. So the seatbelt sign lights up. The flight attendants are going around to make sure everyone is seated with their seatbelts fastened. And the Metcalfs are buckling up and the knitting basket almost falls on the floor Louis grabs it and he's like, be careful. And the wife, I can't believe they didn't give her name. I'm going to call her Louise. So it's Louis and Louise. So Louise is like, you're telling me to be careful. I should never should have let you and Bert get me into this. So again, suspicion, suspicion. And so the flight attendants are going around and they finally get to Leon. Now, Leon is passed out sleep, question mark. So the stewardess, sorry, flight attendant, she's like, sir, fasten your seatbelt, sir. She then goes to reach, I guess, to buckle his seatbelt for him. Okay, that seems inappropriate. But he then keels over. She screams and the scene ends. Most likely it went on commercial in TV life. But when it comes back, so in the next scene, we have Clint, who is a doctor, right? He's like, he's dead. Okay, so it could have been a heart attack. It could have been a stroke. I I don't know. Like, I, I honestly cannot tell you from here, but I can tell you he's dead. And he's been that way for a while. Has anyone notified Sunny? And so they're like, oh, I think the captain, meaning the first pilot of the plane, went to tell her. And so she comes in and she's like, oh my gosh, he just wanted to close his eyes and take a nap. And Clint is like, calm down, Sunny. I am so sorry. He's been dead for an hour. There is nothing we can do. Like he is gone. Um, Yeah. So Jessica swoops in because she is the only one who knows how to appropriately react to this. She's like, uh, yeah, how about you come and sit over here and not look at his dead body? Because this is traumatizing for all of us, but especially you, because you knew him. The pilot or captain, we'll call him captain, says, nobody's leaving first class. We don't want this information getting to anybody else on this flight. OK, we don't want panic and hysteria. OK, so we're going to figure this out in the confines of first class. OK, that's what we're going to do. All right, shut it up. Okay, but you know what? This is his plane and he got to keep these people in line. I completely agree. So Jessica is comforting Sonny and she reveals like, I know it's no secret that he was more than just an employee to me, you know? We had a relationship and in order to make it seem more legit that we were spending more time together, he became my bodyguard, right? He was originally her chauffeur and then he became her bodyguard so that they could be seen together and it would seem more legit that they were together a lot. But I'm like, but they already knew you were in a relationship with him. So like, what difference did that make? Why are you? Why is he on your payroll then? Like, y'all are having a relationship, right? And everybody knows, like, it's in the tabloids. So, why didn't you just live your truth and be like, yep, that's my man. Okay. He is not on my payroll. That makes it look worse that he's on your payroll and you're sleeping with him. You are paying him to sleep with you, girl. That's stupid. You should be getting it for free. <laughs> How is he... How he getting overtime to have sex with you <laughs> and your companies are paying for it? That's stupid. That is stupid, girl. Girl, you need to know better than this. You should have immediately taken him off a of payroll and just been like, y'all know we together. All right, I don't care what y'all think. I'm having a good time, okay? I am single and I am enjoying this situation, all right? Be mad, okay? (laughs) How everybody know and you still got him on the payroll, stupid. Anyway, so we find out, (laughs) sorry, a mess. We find out that what... Leon was trying to listen to was a relaxation tape that a psychologist had created for him that had assisted him on all of his previous flights so Jessica had observed and commented that he seemed to really have a difficult time when the Walkman wasn't working and so Sonny explained why it was so important So they then in the background are like, okay, let's get a stretcher. Let's take him out of first class because like this is too much to have his uh, deceased body just hanging out in first class. So Sonny pops up and she's like, oh, I just have to get something. He was carrying something for me. And she is like feeling this dead body up. Like I am so (laughs) she is trying to find that necklace. And she's like, it's not here. Um, Maybe he moved it. And so she's checking his hand luggage. And it's not there. And she's like, it's not here. It's missing. And Clint is like, you do not mean the Empress Catherine necklace. That is not missing. You are joking. She's like, no, it's missing. And that means that he wasn't, this wasn't an accident. He was murdered. One of you is a murdering thief. And I'm like it just got interesting in this first class. Okay, just because y'all got money to be in first class don't mean that you ain't out here killing and robbing people. So, Gunner is like, are you serious? It ain't one of us. Man, I got money. Ain't nobody trying to steal from you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) He like, girl, no. It ain't one of us. You stupid. Because... (laughs) Because honestly, 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 let's all jokes aside, it would not make sense for somebody who is a passenger of first class, a named ticketed passenger to steal this necklace and murder this man when they could easily be identified Because if he was dead, they were going to look into it and they would have checked everybody's luggage, which they proceed to do. So it doesn't make sense at all. So that's why I'm with Gunnar. Like, girl, ain't nobody trying to steal that diamond and murder that man at the same time. (laughs) We'll figure out what happened, though. Meaning Jessica will figure out what happened. (laughs) So the captain is like, ah, Jesus. So what we're going to do is I'm going to have them phone ahead to Heathrow and we will have Scotland Yard waiting and we will handle it once we get to the ground and everybody's going to be detained and that's that on that. And so Gunnar's like, oh no, I have to make connections to Budapest now, now. Did we not hear him on the phone saying that he was going to the premiere of one of his movies in London and that's why he could not go skydiving or whatever the heck it was with Burt Reynolds and Clint Eastwood? Is it, isn't that what we heard earlier in this? I think somebody forgot or I think another writer wrote this portion, but either way, Errol steps up. And says, Scotland Yard is already here. Louise, that is not her name, but that's what we're calling her. Louise Metcalf. <laughs> it's like, uh, you're the police? And he's like, yes, I am. Well, clearly my holiday got cut shorter than I expected. So he is going to look into it. And we have two hours until they get to Heathrow. So he has two hours to figure this out or he'll have to turn the investigation over to the Scotland Yard slash... Well, it's a different agency. The airport police as well as Scotland Yard. And I'm assuming that he will not be the assigned inspector because... What? Okay, I would assume that they would have him complete his investigation since he was on the plane. But whatever, you know, the plot and not logical conclusions. I I got it, I got it. So Sonny starts pointing fingers, right? So we find out that the necklace is valued at two to $3 million. And so first Sonny is like, oh, as to Clint, you were asking about it. You wanted to buy it. And Clint is like, ain't nobody trying to steal that necklace. I was willing to purchase it for investment. Why well, I'm going to steal it. That's stupid. And Clint is like, there was no secret that you were going to wear that necklace to the gala. So clearly you want to fly it over there with you. And Jessica's like, uh, actually, I did read something in the Boston Sentinel about you wearing the necklace to the gala. So... Yeah, it wasn't a secret. Um, Then Jessica's like, "Uh, so did you have the necklace insured? Let's get down to brass tacks. And Sunny says, of course I have insurance on it, but I am too rich to swindle an insurance company. Ma'am, ain't nobody ever too rich to swindle an insurance company. Okay. (laughs) What? they're the worst ones. No, that's that's not fair. It's probably true, but that's not fair. <laughs> so then Errol is like, yeah, so we're going to have to check everybody's hand luggage and pat everybody down to find this necklace. To which Gunner is like, listen, sir, I'm an American citizen on an American plane. You don't have the right to do that. And <laughs> Errol's like, yeah, so you're over international waters, sir, okay? And if the captain, meaning the pilot, gives permission because the captain of an airplane is the top legal enforcer or law enforcement person on the plane. So, they make the all of the decisions. If they want to kick you off the plane, they can kick you off the plane if they have mandates that they must follow because of federal regulations. They're the ones who are to impose it. And they usually give that ability to the flight attendant in their stead because they are what flying the plane. So of course the captain is like, yeah, so he's actually a Scotland Yard inspector. So yeah, he is going to investigate and he's going to check your bags. Because that's what's going to happen. Somebody is dead. Like, so Gunnar, get it together. Because otherwise, everybody's being detained once we get to Heathrow until this is figured out. So you can let him do his job now while we're in the air so that you can go on about your way if you did not murder and or steal. And that'll be that. So Gunnar shuts his face as he should. Okay? Okay. <laughs> So Errol and Jessica step to the side and Errol reveals that he has spent 25 years playing it safe, whereas younger officers took more risk and were promoted over him. So if he is able to solve this and bring in a murderer and thief, then this could mean a promotion to chief inspector. So he really, really needs this. So Jessica says, You know what? I'll help you. We're going to get this done. So we go back out, and Sonny then points the finger at Gunner saying, Hey, listen, he was trying to get money for this project. You know, he's a producer. Yada. That doesn't automatically mean that he is a thief, but like, let's be serious. Like let's let's be a hundred percent truthful. <laughs> anyway, so at this point, John Sugihara stands up and he's like, "Hey, yeah." So the fact is, they're probably going to break that necklace down into individual stones and sell it on the black market for netting a million and a half. Or more, right? And so everyone's like, uh, sir, who are you? If you were the thief, because you're sounding real thiefish. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and he's like, oh, here's my card. I cut the Cape Town diamond. What did he say? 20 years ago. However many years ago? In 1980. In 1980. So seven years ago. He cut the Cape Town diamond. And he says flawlessly, I might add. Now, for those of you who are on my Patreon, know that I was in Cape Town, South Africa, not in 1980 or 1987, but in 2021. So if you are on Patreon or are looking for a reason to join the Fletcher Files pod on Patreon, if you want to hear the story time and see the photos, uh, sign on up for that. Happy Thanksgiving, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Anyway, (laughs) so clearly John is a diamond expert and would have this additional knowledge about it. I don't know why he needed to say anything, but he did and he's made his presence known and he's like, you can check my bag now. So to show that Although he has this information based on his profession that he is not the person who stole it, even though it sounds like he would be the most appropriate person to have stolen it. But okay, great. So then we have Jessica speaking with a unnamed flight attendant, right? Who has some American accent. I cannot pinpoint which state it is from. But it is definitely an American accent, okay? (laughs) And Jessica asked to see Leon's body. And this flight attendant says, well, the captain said you and Mr. Polson had our full support. So to do whatever you needed us to do. So he pulls back the cover and Jessica says, well, there's no signs of a wound. And he died very quietly, She then looks at his fingernails and she's like, oh, this is it. You see the blue tinge on his fingernails? Poisoning. So she then asks to see the seating chart, the ticket records, and the boarding passes, to which the flight attendant says, oh, well, you can just knock on the cockpit door. We have them in there. Like, are we serious? That aren't they supposed to be flying the plane? You're just knocking on the door like, hey, I'm going to need these records real quick. Thanks. Flight attendant can't you go in there and get that like should a civilian really be standing at the cockpit door or even worse going in I'm sure that's against federal regulations like I understand that somebody has been murdered and there has been a theft but I'm sure that the FAA is like watching this like oh no oh oh no this is this is terrible (laughs) this is the violations of it all (laughs) okay so she gets a hold, Jessica gets a hold of the ticketing records and Errol comes up and they're viewing it and they see that Sunny purchased her ticket today, that day. And the only person who purchased tickets after her was John Sikahara. And Errol's like, well, I already checked his bags, but you know what? I'll check him again. And Jessica's like, whoa, wait, wait. before you go off, We've been focusing on the passengers, but what about the crew? Which is a great point. And she notes that Kay Davis was a, did a last minute switch with another flight attendant. And they both agree that she seemed distracted because homegirl was just a whole mess. Okay, this entire time, just a whole mess. So the next scene, they are at the employees' lockers and we have Jessica, we have the captain, we have probably the second pilot as well, the second officer, I think they're considered um, being the co-pilot. They have Kay Davis, they have the other flight attendant, female, unnamed. I think she might be Elizabeth, I don't know, they never name her. And Jessica's like, "Yeah, not to be that person, but who is flying the plane, captain? Who is flying the plane?" <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> the captain's like, "Uh, autopilot, cuz that's where the term came from." Okay. <laughs> She's like, "Okay, I'm still not feeling completely safe though." <laughs> now, for nothing I agree, like it's one thing that I'm sure that the plane is on autopilot for the majority of a flight, you know, with at least one of the pilots keeping an eye out, but we don't see that. I prefer not to see it, to just know it in the back of my head, but for real, for both pilots to just be looking in these lockers and like, oh, that's my bag, check my bag. Uh, this is his bag, this is her bag. In In the employee locker area, instead of in the cockpit i'd be concerned too i'm just assuming that perhaps that was not the co-pilot behind him that the co-pilot was actually keeping an eye out keeping his head on swivel in front of the plane making sure the autopilot did what it's supposed to do we're just gonna hope that for the best okay (laughs) So Errol is looking through the captain's bag and then he pulls out a second bag, which belongs to Kay Davis. She identifies it and Errol asks, like, so we were told that you did a last minute switch with another flight attendant for this flight. Like what was the emergency that you needed to get on this flight specifically? And she's like, oh, well, the guy that I'm going with is a pilot for another airline. And we were meeting up in London For a rendezvous. Okay. (laughs) And so Errol's like, Well, what's his name? And she's like, Bernard something another. To which the other flight attendant is like, Bernie? He's been seeing me in Paris. And when I tell you, Jessica is cracking up, like her face cracks in laughter. She's like, Oh my gosh. (laughs) Now, listen. I okay Angela Lansbury is a very talented actress and she is a consummate professional but I promise you it seemed like this was the first time she heard this and it hit her right okay because she was like oh oh, in a second But she had to keep a straight face for the most part, but she definitely cracked a smile and a laugh and like had to look down. So like, I don't know if they surprised her with that, like had the line set up and just had told the actresses on the low, like, hey, say, um, recognize the name and be like, oh, hey, he was seeing me in Paris. (laughs) Because it really looked like Angela Lansbury was not expecting that response. It it really did. And there's one more time when this happens. So I'm wondering if they just threw this in after, like ad-libbed it. Because that was a genuine response. Because I surely would have been standing there like, oh, girl, what? Oh, 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 he double-timing, y'all? Internationally? Oh, he is something else. What Bernie looked like? What Bernie looked like? okay. <laughs> So Errol, who keeps a straight face, Jessica is like on the verge of crying, trying to keep her laughter to a minimum. And Errol keeps a straight face. That's why I'm like, yo, y'all all all knew about this, but did not tell Angela like that this was going to be ad-libbed because she was laughing. So Errol is like, well, your boyfriend has an airtight alibi. Right, clearly he was not on this flight, but Miss Davis, you don't. He then proceeds to pull out a jewelry box, opens it up, and it is a diamond necklace. So Sunny is standing there. She takes it. She's like, Oh my gosh, this is it. I can't believe it. And Kay is like, That ain't mine. I did not put it there. I don't know how it got there. It was not me. I didn't kill nobody, I didn't steal nothing. This is a setup. I, I just don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, this is terrible because I am 100% innocent. And so then John Tsukahara comes up from behind and is like, uh, can I take a look at that? Can I take a look at that? And he puts his little eyeglass situation to inspect it. And he's like, maybe it's the light. And he, he's looking, he's like, uh, so this is a fake. Now, I don't, I don't know. This is a fake. If she stole it, she stole a fake. So Sonny looks at it again. And Jessica's like, is it possible that Leon brought the fake with him? And she's like, no, he would have told me. He never said anything. So she looks closer. She's like, oh, my God, it is a fake. So she looks absolutely surprised as well. Everyone is stunned. And so the captain is like, uh, so is Kay free to go? Because we got to finish landing this plane. Okay. So like, is she in trouble or nah? And so <laughs> Errol is like, y'all can get back to work. Uh, let's resume looking in people's bags. So they make it to the Metcalfs. They're the next ones up. And long story short, Bert is their dog that they were trying to smuggle into London because in England, their dog would have needed to be quarantined for six months and they did not want to do that, nor did they want to leave Bert in a kennel back in the States. I believe they were going to be on vacation for like a month or so. So yeah, that was what they were trying to do. And I'm like, not for nothing. Like in 2021 gender fluidity is a thing. But I was very confused about the fact that Bert is a boy dog, but had bows in his hair, fur, hair, fur, you know what I mean. I'm like, okay, you know, it was (laughs) like, if you wanted a female dog, then why didn't you just get A female dog but you know what Bert didn't care he did not care he's like I'm gonna sit amongst this yarn with my pink collar and the bows in my hair fur whatever situation and I'm in first class okay I'm in first class but I am concerned that they give that dog something to keep it quiet now how is the dog gonna go to the bathroom Now, we didn't discuss all of that. Now, we didn't discuss all of that because there are provisions made now because people have support animals. And also, if you're moving to another country or another state, you need to be able to transport your animal. So there are provisions for that, that because they were hiding Bert, they didn't follow any of those. How did the dog go to the bathroom? think about that now we're moving on because I am concerned for the health of that dog anyway so <laughs> this was the second time that Jessica is standing behind Errol and there <laughs> when Louise because like I said that's not her real name but Louise Metcalf pulls burnt out of her bag Jessica again starts to laugh like she catches herself but not soon enough and again I believe that she did not expect them to pull a dog out of that bag because she seemed tickled by this okay and Errol kept a straight face like (laughs) like he was expecting that he looked dejected as he should right Everyone reacted appropriately, except Jessica, in the sense that I think she was supposed to keep a straight face, okay? (laughs) Now, if I was there, I would have been like, oh, you did not just pull a dog out of your bag like that. Man, what is wrong with you? You had a whole dog in that bag for six hours? Oh, my goodness! They need to take that dog from you this is This is terrible This is oh no, that is animal cruelty, ma'am. No, you need to go to jail. You need to go to somebody's jail. That is, mm-mm. no, no. that is not funny, but it's hilarious how Jessica was touched by this revelation <laughs> So the next scene. Errol and Jessica are speaking and Errol's like, oh my goodness, the only citation I'm going to get is as the dog catcher of the year. I'm like, true, true. (laughs) Anyway, Jessica's like, I'll help you. And so he has requested the ticketing records for all of the Boston-London corridor flights for the past previous, for the previous days, as well as later that day and the next few days. Now, I have no idea why this flight had all of that information just at the ready. Like, did they fax this information? Like, what? Anyway, so they have it because plots. So, (laughs) and they find that Otto Hardwick has a ticket For every single flight that Sonny and her necklace could have taken to arrive at the gala. Okay. So Errol's like, well, I already checked his bags, but I'm definitely going to check again. They also bring up the fact that he did not want to sit next to the guy who was smoking in the lounge. And he made it very clear in his actions that he did not like cigarette smoke. I'm like, uh, who does? There are smokers who don't like cigarette smoke. <laughs> anyway. So they're like, why would he be in the smoking section when there's perfectly when there was a perfectly good seat in non-smoking? Again, there is no non-smoking section when you're smoking in the cabin of a plane. Anyway, sorry, that's still stupid to me. <laughs> So, of course, they're like, all right, he wanted to be far enough away from his target that it wasn't obvious what he was trying to do. So Jessica's like, well, how did he get the necklace and how did he kill Leon? Then Jessica remembers, she's like, oh, wait, When Leon was going to the bathroom and Otto was coming out, there was an interaction. Like maybe he's a sleight of hand artist or maybe he is a professional pickpocket. And he did that. So Errol's like, yeah. And then later he came and killed Leon. And she's like, well, that doesn't make sense. And so Errol's like, yeah, we'll figure that out later. But first things first, let's go search him. So they go to search him. I don't make some comments like the best that Scotland Yard could come up with was a dog. And which is true. So (laughs) he was speaking the truth. But anyway, long story short, Jessica figures out when she sees the shaving cream canister that it's probably a canister with a secret compartment. And Errol opens it up. Because, of course, we remember that he was using an electric shaver or, sorry, electric razor. And there would be no need for shaving cream with an electric razor. You would only use that with a standard razor, which was not in his bag. Which I'm like, that's stupid. You should have, you could have spent a dollar. Okay, it's 1987. So probably like a few cents on a regular standard razor to throw in there to be like hey you know sometimes i like the electric sometimes i like the standard i like options but no you didn't do that because what plot so errol opens up the bottom of it and of course the diamond necklace is in there john Tsukahara comes up he's like yes this is authentic hands it over to sunny to look she's like yes this is it thank you and Otto then admits that he stole the necklace and that he killed Leon. Now, everybody looks surprised at this second revelation, including Jessica, who looks confused and upset, right? (laughs) So we know this is not the answer she expected. Errol then says, you know what? We'll get it processed as evidence and then we'll it'll be available for you to pick up Sunny after that. And the fact is, maybe, actually maybe, because it is a two to three million dollar necklace. Scotland Yard would probably not want to hold on to it for any longer than they needed to. So they probably would just take extensive pictures and return it to her because they probably would not feel that they had the sufficient security. I know it's the law, is the police department, right? But I don't think they have ever had two to three million dollars worth of evidence for one case at any one time. So I could imagine that they would take pictures, process it, and then return it to her. So that is realistic. Now, for other things, maybe not, but like even a car, that's stolen. They will take extensive pictures, whatever fingerprints or whatever they need and process it as soon as they can so that it can be returned to the rightful owner. So yeah, that's believable actually. So we then get an announcement that they're landing and the next thing we know, Jessica is on the airplane phone calling for Inspector Crimmins with Scotland Yard. And Fred is like, Mrs. Fletcher, we are landing. You need to sit down and put your seatbelt on. Like, he is trying to be polite, but he is trying to be forceful because honestly, this is super unsafe. And she's like, I'm sorry, I just need a minute. I just need a minute. I'm so sorry. I need a minute. This is super important. So she gets whatever answer she needs to get. She then hangs up and goes to her seat. And the thing is, like, Fred is not just saying you need to sit down and put your seatbelt on. He's like, I need to sit down and put my seatbelt on because this is dangerous for both of us. And he's like, the landing gear is down. So this is dangerous with a capital D, okay? (laughs) So she sits down, she buckles her seatbelt and they land the plane. So as soon as they get to the gate and the doors are unlocked, Errol and Otto are led off the plane by security. Once they get into the terminal, it's just Errol and Otto, Otto's hands being tied with green yarn, thanks to Louise Metcalf. So Errol signs Otto out, right? And is about to exit when he is stopped by customs officers who are like the chief of customs wants to see you and he's like I've already signed the paperwork you can call my office in about an hour and whatever's whatever I have to take this prisoner in and they're like yeah no it's protocol you're going to his office or you're going to his office so Errol's like oh my gosh red tape fine let's go so they go up to the office and When they walk in, Errol sees the customs chief, goes directly to him. And is like, this is ridiculous. I have this prisoner. I have to get him to Scotland Yard. I have to process this, blah, blah, blah. What's this about? And so he doesn't say anything. The customs chief just looks to the corner. Errol turns around and he sees Jessica standing there. And he's like, Jessica, like, what are you doing here? And she says the same thing you are, wrapping up a theft. And she says, sorry, that we have to be on opposite ends. And Errol is like, what are you talking about? So basically, this was a scheme, a scandal, a setup. All right. So Otto, who is a professional pickpocket or a sleight of hand artist, whatever, lifted the necklace off of Leon when they were in the aisle. He then planted the fake necklace on Leon, okay? They didn't say this, but that that's what happened. So he exchanged the fake one for the real one while they were doing the you-go-I-go Go dance in the, the aisle. And the purpose of that was, one, if someone realized that the real one was stolen, then... Errol would make the find and arrest Otto. And since they were Confederates, meaning that they were co-conspirators, they were partners in crime, that he, being Errol, could get him off the plane and through customs without anyone batting an eye because he was Scotland Yard. Or was Scotland Yard at some point, but not currently, we find out if no one noticed the switch, then all the better. But they had a plan A and a plan B. And so Jessica was like, it was a perfect plan. But Mr. Begard went and got himself murdered, which revealed the theft. And when Otto admitted to the murder, it brought the fact to life that he must to light that he must be working with Errol because he would say anything, confess to any crime on the blotter, as she said, in order to get off that plane with Errol as his captor because they were in it together and they needed to get off the plane in that situation so they could get away with the necklace. Now, Jessica brings up the fact that there was no need to murder Leon because his murder really brought to light the theft. So there was no point it would actually have been stupid of them to have murdered Leon to bring that to light. So at this point, Errol like hands over the necklace to the customs chief and is taken into custody. So the customs chief is like, hey, so if it wasn't, Otto Hardwick who murdered Leon who did and she's like well they should be coming through customs in the next few minutes so let's go out there. Jessica then encounters the Metcalfs and she suggests to them that they go to France because uh, Bert is welcome there so he would not need to be quarantined and so they're like oh okay that's a really great option but I'm like don't you have reservations at a hotel probably at least a month's worth in London this is kind of short notice to cancel that and it's kind of short notice to get a month long stay at a hotel in France that is animal friendly but again plot question mark no that's just not good advice I'm sorry that doesn't make sense when they're supposed to be there for an extended period of time Anyway, let's get to solving Leon's murder. So the next person that they see is Sunny Greer. Okay. In that beautiful, beautiful white coat. Okay. And her outfit, her cream outfit that matches the coat, like perfection, just perfection. Anyway, so Jessica lays it out. So Sunny messed with Leon's Walkman. Causing him to get super stressed. She then suggested he take a sedative, which she or tranquilizer, as she's probably done before. He takes that, but she doesn't give him an actual tranquilizer. She gives him a capsule of poison, killing him. She then takes the necklace out of his pocket and secretes it in the in Kay Davis's bag right to throw to make it look like a murder robbery right so Sonny is like are you ready for the battery of attorneys that I'm about to unleash on you like you have no proof and Jessica's like yeah so basically they're gonna get fingerprints off of the doorknob to the cabin To the employee's locker area. As well as off of Kay's vinyl bag. And they're probably going to be yours. So yeah. Is that enough proof? Because I think it is. I, I actually don't know if that is. I haven't really sat down to think about it. But okay. It got a confession out of her. So it was sufficient to get a confession out of her. And so Sunny was like, you're right. You're absolutely right. I found out that Leon climbed in my bed in order to climb out of the chauffeur's seat and onto bigger and better things for himself. He had his eyes set on a vice president position and he was betting a board member's wife in order to get it. He was actually going to meet her in London and give me the gate. Okay. And she's like, nobody dumps me. He was a Nobody. And you know, she meant that. She meant that. That's what I'm saying. Like, get him off the payroll. If you're going to be having relations with him, have relations with him. But don't have him on the payroll too. Girl, that was stupid. And now, you, now you're now going away for murder over this nobody. He, Everybody is somebody. I'm just saying. Everybody is somebody. But if you think he was a nobody, now you're going to prison over that? Who looking stupid now? You got played. You played yourself. You actually played yourself. As beautifully dressed and well put together, as great as your skin looked, you played yourself. So she is taken off by the customs chief. And we end with Gunner Global finally getting off the plane and Jessica saying, oh, hey, here's the script that you gave me. It really was amazing. A a mix between cinema verite and something else she was talking about the pros and all of that and mind you the name of it was off-road aliens to the second coming yeah yeah she was talking about pros and cinema verite so gunner was like what oh no so the customs person was like do you have anything to declare and he's like yes i do this it's a dud so gunner and jessica are laughing the customs agent is like what i don't understand (laughs) i'm like clearly an inside joke but that last scene is not on the regular tv edit it is on the prime video and when it was on netflix this is the full episode but the tv edit does not have this last scene So anyway, that's that on that. One of my absolute favorite episodes for all of the reasons, the double twist ending that they really tied up, I think, all of the loose ends for the most part. So just well put together. Everyone played their part perfectly. They were so well cast. I loved it. So next week, we will be watching another one of my favorites, Crossed Up. I love that one. I don't even know why, but I do. I love it. So I'm excited to review that one for you guys. Again, you can find me on Instagram at the Fletcher Files Pod on Instagram, on Facebook at the Fletcher Files Pod Facebook page. Or, of course, on Patreon at the Fletcher Files Pod on Patreon. So I can't wait to be back with you guys next week, Sunday at 5 p.m. So until then, promise me you will have an amazing week. Bye.